Well, good morning. My name's Pastor Josh, one of your pastors here. For those joining on live stream or on the phone, it's great to be with you this morning. And for those here, it is great to be with you as well. Uh, this morning, uh, I just want to kind of go back a little bit to refresh where we have been over the last eight weeks and kind of wrap up our discussion around discipleship. If you remember, we, we just spent eight weeks through the resource of organic disciples uh, that helped us understand what does it mean to be a disciple and to be discipled? What does it mean for us to continually grow in the transformative work of the Holy Spirit? Last week, Pastor Trent talked about how that transformative work of the Holy Spirit should lead to an outpouring of love for our neighbor. Right? The outreach uh, to the rest of the world. And over the previous seven weeks, we focused on the markers of those who are being discipled. The, the things that mark us as a follower of Christ and the, the practices which we can do to bring us closer into that work of Christ in us. The, the things like Bible engagement, wholehearted worship, consistent community, Joyful generosity, passionate prayer, humble service, and organic outreach. These are all ways in which Christ is evident in us, and in the same way, which draw us nearer to Christ. But today, I want to kind of take a look at that process of all of those things at work in our lives, the process of being discipled, and be completely frank. Because that process of being discipled is growth, right? We're, we're growing in Christ. We're growing in our, our ability to see Christ at work in the world and at work in us through our engagement with the Bible, through our worship, through our consistent community. But if we're honest about growth, growth is going to hurt a little. There are times and moments where growth is going to hurt a little. So being a disciple of Christ is going to cost us, and it will require some growing pains. Let's pray together, and then we'll dive into God's word for us today to see how this growth is sometimes painful. God, uh, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for bringing us to this place for being the author and perfecter of our faith, for being the, the very breath in our lungs. God, we can do nothing without you. And so we ask for you to speak today, that it is your word that comes alive in our hearts and minds, that it is you that we leave filled with, not our own selfish desires, but you. For your glory and your kingdom. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to be in Matthew today. Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 28. Uh, this is uh, shortly after uh, Peter's confession of Christ. Right before our section today, Peter confesses that Jesus is Christ. Meaning that Jesus asks, who do you think I am? Right, and some, they say, some say you're Elijah, some others that you're a prophet, uh, John the Baptist, right? Uh, but Jesus is like, no, 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 but who do you say I am? And Peter says, well, 
You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus is thrilled with Peter's answer. But, but in our section, after that, after that, Jesus realizes it's time for me to, to get them to understand what it means to be the Christ, what it means to be the Messiah. And so in verse 21, we read, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So Peter, the one who says, Jesus, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you are the anointed one, the son of the living God, is also the one that pulls Jesus aside when he hears that this Christ, this son of the living God, uh, needs to suffer and die at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. He pulls Jesus inside and says, no, you're wrong. That's, no. You're the anointed one. You can't suffer and die. You're not supposed to suffer and die. You're supposed to conquer all of this. You're supposed to uh, overthrow these, these injustices and these powers of evil. You're not supposed to suffer and die. And Jesus, in a really harsh moment, it seems, turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Now, imagine being Peter's shoes at that moment. You're like, oh. Wow, that hurt. That's pretty deep cut there, Jesus. Uh, But Jesus is understanding that Peter is thinking in human terms, right? He says, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. See, Peter misunderstood what the Christ was, what the anointed one was. It was supposed to be, in Peter's mind, a military conqueror that would come and overthrow Rome, the oppressors uh, of all Israel. That is a thing of men, right? Peter had in mind his own glory to be a part of the glorious kingdom, the human kingdom of Israel. But Jesus had in mind an even bigger kingdom, a better kingdom, a kingdom filled with true life, the kingdom of God. And look at what he says required, is required in order for that kingdom to flourish, To come into the world, it requires suffering. It requires death. And if anyone is to follow after Jesus, they too must deny themselves and take up their own cross. 
They must die to themselves. They must die in order to find life. Those who want to save their life need to lose it. This seems weird until you understand and get into the mindset of what Jesus is seeing, right? Jesus is God most high. He is a part of the eternal trinity of God. So he knows the story of all of creation. And this idea that in order for us to experience true life, in order for us to save our lives truly, we must die, is not a foreign thing to Jesus. Because it's been set in place before. In the Old Testament, God sets up the law, right? He makes a covenant with his people. He makes a covenant with his people and says, in order for you to live with me, for my presence to be with you, and you to be in my presence, here's what needs to happen. And so we get uh, the, the parts that often when our reading through the Bible in a year, we try to do it, often it comes screeching to the halt, to a halt, right? Like we get to the, the, the end of Exodus where you get the description of how, they, how to build the temple, and then the repeated how they built the temple. And then you get into Leviticus where it's just law after law after law. But looking deeper into the giving of the law, specifically in Leviticus, the giving of the sacrifices. We can see that God is setting up this idea that in order for you to experience life, i.e. in order for you to be in my presence... And therefore, experience the fullness of who I am and the fullness of life because you are with me. Here's what needs to happen. Death. Take, for instance, the the whole burnt offering. Right? This is the, the most costly of sacrifices. And I have to give credit to the, to the Bible Project for this because, strangely enough, I was listening to their podcast this week and it, I was like, That's exactly what I'm talking about. So thank you to them for diving into Leviticus. And they point out that uh, the whole burnt offering, right, it's the most costly of offerings. Because normally if you brought an offering, they would take, the priest would butcher the animal, and, and they would take part of it and burn it in the altar. But the other parts, they would distribute back to the person, or they would save to feed themselves, But the whole burnt offering was extremely costly because you're taking an entire animal and you're burning the whole thing. The whole animal, which is a source of life for the Israelites, whether they're a farmer or food, is to be butchered, sacrificed, and burnt completely on the altar. But this whole burnt offering, right, is to be burnt completely on the, offer, on, the, on the altar so that the smoke rises up into the presence of God, right? The smoke rises up into the air, the heavens, to be in the presence of God. This animal, right, smoke is still the animal just in a different form. And so this animal is transformed from what it is, a sheep, a goat, a bull, into smoke, into something new. And that newness is able to enter into the presence of who God is. 
on behalf of you or me or whoever is presenting the sacrifice. But in order for that animal to represent me in, or in front of God, it has to go through the fire. It has to die and go through the fire to be transformed into something that is able to go into the presence of God. And the entire sacrificial system is set up to remind us of that. As I go to the tabernacle or the temple to present my sacrifice to the priests who are standing before the altar, I am walking towards this altar that is constantly burning, right? So there is fire before me. And just beyond that fire is the inner courts. Just beyond the inner courts is the presence of God himself. And so as I'm approaching the fire, I can see beyond the fire the presence of the place where God's presence itself rests. It's a picture of how in order for me to experience the presence of God, I have to pass through the fire. I have to burn something off. My sin, my guilt I have to be transformed in order to be in the presence of God. And that's what Jesus is trying to convey to his disciples here. In order for you to be my followers, you must deny yourself. You must strip off the old, take up your cross, die to yourself. So that you can experience the true life of me, Christ Paul gets this. Paul talks a lot uh, about his own sufferings, about, uh, but his own sufferings are for his gain. Philippians chapter 3 at verse 7 and 8. He writes, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. And I'm, I'm actually going to continue. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. How? By becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul realizes that everything that I've tried to achieve on my own, it's rubbish because when compared to the life of Christ, it's nothing. And so I want to get rid of all of that to gain this. I want to get rid of that which is temporary and will fail to gain what is eternal and will never fail. But in order to do that, I have to die to myself. I think of it this way. As a, as a father, I've had the privilege of experiencing my children growing up, right? And and especially right now, uh, my youngest, who's just one and a half, is teething. So great. He came up the other day and just came up to me and like grabbed my legs. I'm like, oh, he's giving me a hug. All of a sudden, he bit me right on the leg. And I'm like, 
okay, thanks, that hurt. There's a mark even on my leg. And I'm like, okay. Uh, so he's teething, right? And thank goodness we don't remember that because the pain that they experience. But ultimately, the pain of teething leads to more life, right? If we didn't have teeth that pushed through our gums and gave us pain, we would be eating applesauce for our entire lives. I mean, applesauce is good and mushy food, but I don't know, have you tried baby food lately? It's not, not the best. I'd rather have a steak, just me, or bacon. And so the pain that, that, that Easton is experiencing right now, yes, it's painful. Yes, it's miserable for him and for us and for everyone around him. But the pain he's experiencing now will lead him to a greater experience. New foods will be open to him. The ability to eat, the ability to, to not have to be spoon-fed this mush the pain of, of teething will lead to greater life. Or I think of my oldest, who has had a couple of nights already, who, who like complained, Dad, my legs really, really hurt. I'm like, oh, you've got growing pains, buddy. Right? We've all experienced that. We, we all have those memories of just the miserable nights laying in bed with that deep ache in your legs or your arms. And you're just like, what is going on? And your parents are like, it's growing pains. And you're like, fix it. You're like, I, sorry, buddy, I can't. But again, those deep aches, they're miserable in the moment. But in the end, by growth, by, by our bones stretching and our muscles coming in, we get to experience new things in life. We get to run. We get to walk. We get to, to be able to pick things up and throw a ball and ride a bike. And so that pain is worth it. This is what Paul and what Jesus are trying to get at. In order for you to experience the life of Christ, the, the life and the goodness that he has given you by his grace and mercy and by the Holy Spirit being within you and walking with you constantly, it's going to hurt. You're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to make decisions that hurt. I think of joyful generosity. I'm going to have to make a decision, a conscious decision to not spend money on myself and instead give it to others. That's, that's going to hurt. That means I have to sacrifice uh, things that I want or consistent community. That's going to hurt a little bit because I'm not going to have me time as much. I'm going to have to choose to reach out to others around me. Organic outreach, that's going to hurt because it's going to make, it's going to mean I'm going to have to be courageous and sometimes take, take a little judgment from others because I chose to love those around me and step out of my comfort zone and, and, and do that which others don't want to do. Growing in Christ, the discipleship of Christ is going to cost us. But it's going to cost us things that are just 
temporary. And the cost is far outweighed by the life experienced in Christ. Jesus says, those who wish to follow me must deny themselves and take up their cross. Those who wish to save their life will lose it. Those who would lose their life will find it. The act of discipleship is going to hurt at times. We're going to experience growing pains. But those growing pains, those pains of growth, the, the, the pains of letting go of us will be far outweighed by the gift of Christ we receive. And so the question then becomes, what is it? Right? Like, what is it that has been kind of in the back of your mind uh, that, that the Holy Spirit's just been kind of pricking you on? Like, hey, maybe, maybe you need to change this. Maybe you need to give up a, a little bit more of your control over your finances. Maybe you need to give up a little bit more of your time for others. Maybe you do need to take that step and reach out to that neighbor or that stranger or that friend. Maybe you just need to let go and fully worship. Yeah, but God, that's, that's going to that's gonna hurt. It's going to cost me something. Maybe what is the question? I, 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 I should say, what is the thing that God has been pushing you towards that you are resistant to let go of because you know it's going to cost you? And then think of that thing and then look on the other side. Well, if I do give that up, what will I gain? What will I gain in Christ? What will Christ, who is always faithful, always near, always willing to give of himself for us to experience him, what is he going to give me in return? What do I gain in Christ by letting go of this? What freedom do I experience? What life is waiting for me on the other side? In the same way that our, our physical growth is painful at times, but leads to us being able to experience new life, our spiritual growth will be painful at times. But it will lead us to experience life beyond our wildest dreams, a life that is destined for us in Christ. And as the image bearers of God, God desires to be with us, but that requires for us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and maybe even lose our own life to experience His. What are the growing pains that God is asking you to endure? to work through, to run through in order to experience him more. Let's pray. God, we thank you for being the faithful one, for being our savior and for modeling us what it means to deny yourself, to take up a cross. You did it first. 
You showed us that life on the other side of the suffering is eternal and is far greater than the suffering and life we experience now. God, as we experience those spiritual growing pains, as we enter into those times where you know, we know you're trying to draw us closer to you, to transform us even more, but we, we see the cost, give us the courage and the strength to not run away from that, but instead to push through. To have faith knowing that the growing, the growth pains are worth the life in you on the other side. We thank you for your spirit and its transformative work in us each and every day. We ask now that you continue to speak to us. You continue to uh, give us where you are trying to grow us each and every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.